Good morning. I had to turn on my 75 electronic devices, but it's good to be with you all today. Good morning and welcome to our Sunday worship service. Uh, it's so good to be with you. Beautiful day outside. I'm going to give you just a couple of brief announcements before we begin. Uh, first of all, and I'm sure this is the most important one, snacks, food, and fellowship are back on today. Yeah! Yeah! So, those of you who would like to join us for some food and fellowship in the plum room following the service, feel free to make your way over there after we are done uh, and enjoy some muffins and some coffee or tea or other things to drink. Uh, So that's exciting. And then next week, so a week from today on August 27th, we will have the same food and fellowship time. Uh, but I will be in there in the food and fellowship time facilitating a conversation around one of the main points of the resident satisfaction survey. So you may all recall, or some of you may recall, that you took a survey uh, and all of the directors have been assigned one topic from the survey to do a follow-up conversation with residents on. And I was assigned one of those topics, and so I'll be doing that in the plum room during that fellowship time next week. So I'll make sure to remind you of that. And lastly, these are on the horizon. They're coming up in September. Uh, But on Monday, September 11th, I'm beginning two different uh, sort of groups. At 12.30 in the small chapel, I will have a small, what I'm calling, Monday meditation. So anyone who wants to come, staff or residents, can come join me in the small chapel. We'll do different kinds of things focusing on maybe a word for the week or uh, a breathing rest exercise to kind of focus on preparing ourselves for the week because Monday is a good day to start all that. And then the other thing will be a support group that will be every Monday afternoon. And I'm calling it the Life Support Group. It's going to cover a broad swath of topics, but it could be a place where people who might be experiencing grief could come and receive support, or maybe you're dealing with the challenges of being a caregiving spouse, or you name it. There could be a lot of things that you're going through where you would like a little bit of additional support. And that that group will be limited to eight participants, and it will go over eight weeks. And uh, the limit of space is important so that all the people who come have a chance to share if they want to. So I want to make sure that we have that. But if it's uh, well attended and people really wanted to get in, I'll do another one uh, seasonally. So we'll kind of rotate through and make sure people can get to the support group. So if right now you're overwhelmed by all the information I just threw at you, which I would be too, (laughs) don't worry. You don't have to remember the dates and times. This will come out in advertisements. You'll get it in your box. You'll see it on Touchtown on the screens. Just wanted to make sure you heard it from me as well. So exciting stuff. Also, and this has nothing to do with our service this morning, congratulations to the country of Spain on winning the Women's World Cup soccer tournament. That was exciting. First time in their, in their nation's history that they won the Women's World Cup. So that's really cool. Uh, and NFL preseason football. 49ers fans? Uh-huh. Oh, come on. You guys. You're still waking up. You're waking up. Okay. Well, let, we can begin our service today with our first hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King.
Doesn't sound like the right All thing. creatures are king. Well, that's God of grace and glory. Do you know all creatures of our God are king? I'm sorry. That's okay. Good. Sorry. No worries. We got, I knew the tune was not quite We were trying, though. We were really trying to make that work. That's okay. No worries. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. 
for soon my salvation will come, and my deliverance is revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and will fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them, besides those already gathered. The word of our Lord. Praise you, O Christ. Our lectionary psalm for today is Psalm 133, and we'll be reading it responsibly. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And now for our next hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
reading of scripture. Gospel according to Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but what to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. 
Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of our Lord. There's a movie that chronicles the journey of the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team, and it was made by Disney, and the movie is called Miracle. The movie title is a reference to the line from the TV announcers who covered the U.S. men's hockey team defeating the Soviet Union and going on to win the gold medal in that Olympics. As time ticked down, and you can see the, the hockey players still circling on the ice, the U.S. men are about to win and beat the Soviets for the first time in 20-something years, and the announcer famously yelled, Do you believe in miracles? It was the first time in over two decades that anyone, any other nation, had defeated the Soviet hockey team in the Olympics. The movie is a great telling of the story of the head coach, Herb Brooks, and how he had a vision for what kind of team he needed and how to train them in order to win the Olympic gold medal in hockey. Few people believed he could do it, and when he began the journey, fewer and fewer people believed his approach would work. He had to battle a number of naysayers along the way, but in the end his approach proved itself by winning gold. I've always found this movie and its story inspirational for a number of reasons. For one, Herb Brooks grew up 45 minutes from my hometown. So there's a lot of Minnesota pride wrapped up in that movie. During one scene where the U.S. team was playing the Norwegian team in an exhibition game, sort of like practice before the Olympics happened, they ended the game in a tie. And the players were clearly distracted, not really thinking of themselves as a team, weren't playing their best hockey, and there were many times throughout the movie where this is the case. The players saw themselves as players for specific colleges or universities. They hadn't yet gelled as the U.S. men's hockey team. Well, when this game against the Norwegian team ended, Coach Herb Brooks took them out on the ice and made them skate the length of the rink over and over and over and over again. He would blow the whistle and they would skate. And he would yell again, and they would skate. It's a very powerful scene in the movie, if you haven't seen the movie. Eventually, he started asking them the question, Who do you play for? Every time, he would ask a player, he'd say their name, Who do you play for? And they would say their name, and they continued to say their college, or their university, or where they came from, and every time, he'd blow the whistle, and they'd skate again. Eventually, his own assistant coaches were begging him to stop, and he refused. Finally, after what must have been hours and hours of continued skating, a player by the name of Mike Eruzioni from Boston, Massachusetts, yelled out his name before the coach could ask his question, and, said, and the coach said, who do you play for? And Mike responded, the United States of America. The coach dismissed his players. The lesson had been learned. The point of this taxing drill was to teach the players on the team a vital lesson. They had come from various places, colleges, universities, other teams to play. They played hockey on those teams for years, but now they were on a new team. They represented an entire nation in this sport. 
Their previous petty differences and squabbles and competitions needed to end to serve a higher good and a greater purpose. I love this scene because it's a powerful picture of unity. Our lectionary psalm for today, Psalm 133, began with these words. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Well, there are a number of different myths that surround what unity is, and I want to debunk a few of those first, but then we're going to define what unity is and how we can foster it as neighbors and friends who call some of you home. So, four myths about unity. Myth number one, unity equals uniformity. Everyone needs to look and act and be the same. It's one of the easiest traps to fall into when it comes to defining unity. Uniformity means we don't acknowledge the unique things about individuals or groups within the whole. And when you stop and think about it, this is kind of crazy. If we all looked, talked, and acted entirely the same, the world would be very boring. Right? Uniformity is the death of art and beauty. So that's myth number one. Unity is not uniformity. Myth number two, unity means everyone thinks and believes the same. This was a big one in a lot of churches, but also in political parties and other arenas of culture as well. People fall into the trap of the myth that says in order for us to have unity, we have to agree on everything. The problem is that even in the institutions which really push for intellectual and ideological uniformity, there are still things people disagree on. Far too many splits in churches have come from this myth, believing that if only we can agree on these 37 different items, then we will finally have true unity. But then someone disagrees with number 32, and off they go to begin another denomination. There's a rather insightful proverb, which no one seems to know who said it first. It's been accredited to multiple people in church history. But the the simple line goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I'm going to say it again. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. No one knows who said it first. (laughs) I tried looking it up. I thought it was John Wesley, but there are people credited with saying it years and centuries even before him. Now, in order for this to work, we do have to figure out what counts as essential, and that's tough. And then there are a whole lot of things that we can say are not essential, which means we have liberty, freedom to disagree on the non-essentials. But above and beyond all the essentials and non-essentials is this call to charity, the old English word for love. So in all things, regardless of whether they are essential or non-essential, we're supposed to love each other. Love is the core essential. Myth number three. Unity means the absence of conflict. See, human beings are diverse. Human beings think differently, believe differently about a great many things, and that makes it a lot easier to have conflict. Unity will not mean that we are free from conflict or confrontation or disagreement. 
It means that we need to engage each other in spite of disagreement, engage in conversation, and allow for space for there to be good conversation that's healthy and loving and gentle, not violent. Myth number four, final myth, unity is easy. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. Given humanity's profound diversity, our uniqueness between individuals, groups, cultures, nations, we need to accept the fact that if we're going to pursue unity, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard work. And it's a sure statement that the greater the diversity you encounter, the greater the challenge will be to try and foster unity. So, if unity is not uniformity, it's not thinking all the same things, it's not the absence of conflict and it's not easy, then what is unity? Unity finds its basis in love. Paul says it in Colossians 3, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If love creates and fosters unity, then we need to take a close look at what love is and how it works. There are many things we could say about what love is, but I'm going to walk us through three brief ones. First, love is compassion. The word compassion literally means to share the suffering or experience of another, to walk with them side by side in their life experience. So to be a compassionate person is not just to feel bad for someone else, that's called pity, or to feel good for someone else when they experience joy. Compassion is an action, not just a feeling. So when we encounter others who are suffering or rejoicing or anything in between, a loving person extends compassion. They walk with that person and experience it with them. Participate with them in their suffering and in their joy. We offer help where we can. We offer listening ears and encouraging words where we can. We bless and we support. Compassion is powerful because it's rooted in love, and love has the power to change everything. Second thought is, defining love, that love is embrace. What does it mean to embrace another person? Well, literally, we hear that word and we immediately think of hugs, (laughs) right? Which is not a bad way to show your love. But there's a much wider and more powerful definition of embrace which means to fully accept another person regardless of how different we may be from them. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you, friends. (laughs) To be a truly embracing person is very difficult. It's very difficult. There are people whose personality or political persuasion really rub us the wrong way. There are people whose voice and mannerisms we find annoying. There are people who don't think or believe the same things we do. There are people who talk differently from us or have different cultural backgrounds and priorities than we do. There are people out there, and I shudder at the thought, but there are people out there who don't like ice cream. (laughs) I know it's strange. It strikes us as really weird, but we have to embrace them too. Of course, that last one was tongue-in-cheek. But the main idea is to embrace people requires work. It's far from easy, but true unity requires that we work in that direction. If we don't, 
pursue unity, if we don't work toward unity, it will always remain just a dream. Third and final thought on what love is and how it contributes to unity. Love is hospitality. Hospitality is more than just providing a place to sleep and food to eat. That's sort of the ground-level definition in culture, right? We talk about the hospitality industry, hotels and restaurants. But there's a different level, a deeper spiritual level to what hospitality really means. Spiritual hospitality is the practice of living in such a way that people experience safety, reassurance, and grace when they interact with us. That's deep. Spiritual hospitality is where other people feel safe, they experience safety, reassurance, and grace in our presence. I'm sure we've all had experiences with other people where we felt off, we felt strained, we felt rejected by how they talked to us or about us, right? We've had harmful, difficult experiences. We know, our intuition tells us when someone is not trustworthy, or they're unkind or abrasive or they're harsh with us, it pushes us away, right? We're repelled by that. Now, if we flip, up, flip the roles and take stock of our own actions and words, we need to pay attention to how we act and speak toward others. For if we want to show people genuine love and true spiritual hospitality, it requires being kind and gentle and truthful with them. And that, friends, takes work too. There are days where we get up on the wrong side of the bed. We're dealing with the aches and pains and frustrations and whatever else wears our patience thin. It takes next level effort to not let those things weigh us down and affect how we treat other people. One of the most effective ways we can combat this is by practicing being aware of ourselves being mindful of ourselves, aware of our thoughts, our emotions, our words, our behaviors. If we're paying attention to those things, we can do a better job of managing them. Our internal reality is going to shape what comes out. Jesus said this in the Gospel text. Now, I know it was a little bit strange to read about Jesus talking about what comes out and goes into the sewer. Right? That was a very interesting passage from the Bible. But he talked about not what goes in the mouth causing the problem, but what comes out of your mouth. And that's coming from what's in your heart. So how we speak reveals what's going on inside. Talking unkindly about others reveals unkindness in the heart. Dealing harshly or critically with others reveals harshness and bitterness in the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So sometimes, when we come to realize that we've said something we wish we hadn't, we can take a step back and ask ourselves, what was going on in my heart when I said that terrible thing? Why did I say that? What was going on that let that word fly past my lips? That's a mindfulness question. That's a great start to work reverse engineer from your words you regret back to what was going on in you that led to you saying those things. So, we pay attention to our inner world, we pay attention to our thoughts and feelings, they reveal how well we're doing at loving other people. All of these things that I've listed, compassion, embrace, hospitality, they are foundational for love, and without love, 
you cannot have unity. We need love in order to foster unity. The psalmist said, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It's a beautiful phrase, beautiful sentence. So very true, and the opposite is also true. How very unpleasant and tragic it is when people live together in divisiveness and disunity. We have a choice every single day, my friends. We can choose to foster unity, or we can choose to nurture its opposite. So take time this week and assess your heart, your mind, your soul, name your inner world, pay attention to your words and actions, notice your own behaviors. And as you do, ask the Lord for wisdom, for patience, for grace, to live more fully into love. And then you and I will contribute together to the beautiful unity that is our Sunnyview community. Amen? Amen. Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we will receive our offering. As we come to our time of prayer for our congregation, I like to remind us each week that when we do this, this is a corporate practice that blesses each of us to be able to notice that when we come to worship, we're not always coming filled with joy, filled with excitement, filled with all good things. Sometimes we come carrying heavy burdens. And so maybe this morning that describes your life experience today. Maybe you're walking through a journey that is long and extended and troubled and hard. Maybe you've experienced something uh, difficult recently or something deep from the farther in your past that's very uh, trying for you. In addition to those experiences we are having, we are also concerned for others in our lives. Love, friend, friends, neighbors, loved ones who we care about and who we're praying for. And beyond that even as well, we have these bigger global issues that we see in the news and that really uh, stress us out and make us worried, Right? So if any of those things apply to you and you would like us to pray for those things, I invite you to indicate that at this time by raising your hand. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your grace and faithfulness and goodness. We thank you that when we pray, you hear every one of our prayers. So Lord, we lift these up to you for all the hands raised here a moment ago for all the requests, all the needs, all the desires represented. We lift them up to you. We entrust them to your care. Meet us in those places of need. Meet our loved ones who we're praying for in their places of need. Meet our world in the great big places of need. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that not only do you hear our prayers, you're already present to all those situations. You already know, you're aware, and this is our act of trust, placing it before you and asking you for help for hope. We thank you and we praise you and we lift these up to you and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And together praying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now for our final hymn, God of Grace and God of Glory. shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thank you, God. And you can ignore this part that says there's no food and fellowship, because there is. So join us in the plum room, and we'll have food and fellowship following the service. Amen.